This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number 59. Uh, and with me in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Good evening. Uh, in New Delhi, India, Varun Mathur. Good evening. Uh, in Long Island, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. And in Toronto, uh, Toronto, Canada, uh, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hey, near Toronto. Hey, hi, John. Hi, everybody. Close enough for for television. Um, There are a few things to talk, but let's start. um, Let's start with Corey. And uh, since she is, in fact, in Canada and talk about the the trucker protest and all the stuff surrounding that, I think. Yeah. Sure. Well, it's interesting because I think on our last podcast, I'd mentioned that, um, you know, talking about how passive the population is in Canada and how polite we are as a society. And um, and I mentioned um, the trucker convoy protests thing growing, but um, wasn't sure, you know, what would happen with that. Now we see what happened with that. And it's quite amazing. And it's even more amazing because it's um, I mean, the biggest one. And I would say decades, I mean, a, a resistance so large that's absolutely outside of the control of the nonprofit industrial complex. And I think that's super, super important. Um, I, you know, I, I don't even know. I think we sort of just stumbled on that, you know, on that um, sort of insight within the past month talking to each other on, you know, online and our conversations. But that's amazing in itself, you know, and the biggest threat to the ruling class is, has always been the working class. And so now you have it, this um, huge resistance, which has sparked resistance all over the world. And it's growing. It has huge support, so much so that the um, Prime Minister Trudeau went into hiding last week, um, <laughs> saying that he had come in contact with someone with COVID, even though he had already had three vaccines. Um, injections at that point so he went into hiding and disappeared and then the um, people came trucks from all over Canada from the east coast the west coast and all headed to Canada and all along all the highways they were just packed with people you know Canadians and children and families and the Amish and the Mennonites and people from all walks of life were out in full force in you know absolutely brutal temperatures. And so there was huge support for this. Um, You know, people for the first time were happy, you know, and laughing and, you know, hugging each other. No one had masks on. It it was a fantastic feeling, you know, um, to see everyone unite. I mean, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, people had had enough, you know, so that's how quickly things can change. You know, all you need is a tip of the scale and then everything um, changes. And so anyway, um, after that, I believe it was two days ago, Trudeau came out and gave a um, address to the nation. And it was actually um, vile. Um, I, I actually couldn't believe it, that it, how, how nasty and hateful it was. But I guess he's sticking to that um, sort of managing, you know, crisis management tactic of instilling hatred against this working class movement. Um, and media is all, you know, in lockstep with this whole thing, inciting hatred. 
And so they've basically now blaming truckers for children not being able to go to school and businesses having to close. Well, they've been doing that for two years, yeah. you know, but all of a sudden in the past few days, all of a sudden that's now the fault of the protest, um, the protesters and the truckers. And then, um, you know, Trudeau's doing this address on TV saying now he has, he's tested positive for COVID and starts by telling people to get the vaccine, the vaccine, you know, quote unquote vaccine. Well, he's had three and he has COVID, right? So that in itself is completely illogical and, and insane. And it just is, seems to be lost on the majority of people. Um, what else? I mean, you know, him calling people, um, this whole movement actually citing them as hateful, hateful, misogynist, racist, all the other horrible names he's thrown at Canadian citizens um, as he, you know, you know, um, basically his position, you know, as a so-called leader on stolen land. Um, Indigenous peoples are also part of this move, protest Um it's just so it's just so hateful and and just so unbelievable, especially when he's on more than one occasion, um, you know, gone out in blackface. I mean, his treatment of the indigenous peoples in Canada is absolutely horrific. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. He was in a mm -hmm. scandal with this NGO, the the We We organization that his you know whole family. There's lots of money there. It was investigated. Um, I think two years ago. Anyway. I'll, I'll try to go a little faster. So one of the things. He, no, no, it's, it's, I'm just thinking he really can't hide his contempt for oh, um, the, the indigenous hate. people. Uh, yeah. It yeah. just drips. Um, uh, his voice drips with, with loathing. It's, it's really amazing. Actually. Oh, it's anyway, crazy. Continue. Yeah. And so the media is saying, um, you know, they made this thing about Confederate flags and racist flags and that, well, the Confederate flag is the thing in, in the States. It's not in Canada. And actually, you know, I wrote something the other day. I, I just put on Facebook, like we don't even, we're not even into flags here. No one has them on their home. Um, the only time they're ever really used is that protest. It's not like the United States where people have them on their homes and on their porches and on their trucks, on their business. Like we, we just don't do that here. Um, you'll see them on government buildings and some corporate headquarters, but that's it. And so he made this thing about these Confederate flags. But then if you look, if you read further than headlines or sound bites on radio and that, you'll see that they spotted one. It actually says... <laughs> one right and so it's made for and then they went on to say these um truckers went into a soup kitchen right a homeless shelter soup kitchen and they possibly and it was um alleged that they assaulted someone and they were stealing food well that is ridiculous because there's food everywhere people families communities have worked hard to provide food to cook food everyone's opened their homes to these people there's tables on the streets giving food away so the idea that people went in and beat up these poor people in a soup kitchen and stole food is ridiculous there's with all the cameras and everything, there's I've never, to my knowledge, no ever evidence has been presented to back this claim. And then I, you know, I thought, what is this soup kitchen thing? So I looked into that. It's called the Shepherds of Good Hope. So you've got all these things that are really emotive, right? And if you're dealing with a crisis management situation, what better, you know, to use things soup kitchens? You know, these truckers went and sold to the soup kitchen and they stole the they stole the food from the homeless, you know, and and all these horrible things. And of course, people that, you know, really provokes emotion in people and people 
Um, you know, think that's horrible because if that was true, it would be horrible. So anyway, they paint that brush over the whole movement of tens of thousands of people. But in that that um, organization, the Good Shepherds of Hope, I believe it's called. I just made a post about that as well. Um, just sort of quickly conveyed what that was. That's a multi-million dollar industry. And it's actually an industry and expansion, um, you know, in this huge poverty industry within the nonprofit industrial complex. And it's actually in partnership with the, with the municipal municipality, the city of Ottawa, and so the provincial government and the federal government. So it's, you know, um, and then I found, I went into their annual reports and that, and I found pictures of Teresa Tam, you know, um, Health Canada, I found pictures of Trudeau with the CEO, the CEO makes $137,000, or sorry, 130, yeah, 135K a year at a soup kitchen. Right. And they're and, and, you know, again, like these, I, I believe right now they've around eight, eight huge, they're like apartment buildings, really. And they've been um, a huge, they've been massively um, injecting people as well, the homeless. And we can talk about that later because I found a really frightening article about how they uh, have injected all the homelessness in Ottawa. And it's quite um, eye opening. Anyway, I think that's about it. They said that, um, you know, the horrible, these horrible, deplorable class of people in Ottawa uh, defaced a Terry Fox statue. Um, so then the, the donations came flying in for this. Um, they put a hat on the statue and they tied a Canadian um, flag, which looked like a scarf that a woman would, would wear around her neck. And he had um, an upside down flag in his arm, which represents distress of a nation and a flag that says something like um, freedom or something like that and mandates. There was a couple different flags and that's what they sold as desecrating uh, the, the statue. Yeah. Right. So just, just layers and layers and layers of lies, layers of lies, but I mean, the, the pathetic thing is, and we can talk about this later in the podcast, is just how all, you know, um, just on cue, you know, the fake left comes in, the post left, I will call them. And yeah, if you go onto social media, all these people that are actually um, sort of tied into this nonprofit industrial system to which the left is sort of yeah. belongs to now, they all just on cue, just vilified this entire movement. You know, yeah. even they just look for anybody to say this is the movement and they'll look for, you know, basically yeah. the worst people they can find and they tie everyone into that. And it's just absolutely gross. I mean, I, I it makes me sick to my stomach. I can't believe it, you know, that they align themselves with this own system of oppression and white supremacy and then have the audacity to call these people racist. Um, yeah, so I'll just stop. I'll stop there. No, well, we should really talk about the the, the media response and, and social media response to, to the truckers and the way it's, the, the narrative has been constructed in media. But, um, Johan? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Corey, for, for the, the, you know, the review. I think it's, I uh, just wanted to mention, I think it's significant that the, the Amish and the Mennonites are protesting with the, the truckers and the people because, uh, I mean, they're kind of isolationists. So I think this is significant to some extent. And you said you said almost all I, I was going to mention, but I, I, I've also seen this, this blackwashing over here 
in relation to our local protest movements, uh, I mean, there's been a, a kind of a significant push by most of our established, uh, and I would say self-identified radical left to discredit the protest movement and, and represent it as, as fascist or alt-right. And this is, I mean, in perfect synchronization with the, the establishment media. It's, it's just like you say, it's almost on cue. You just kind of put a, a Nazi bullseye on whoever you want to smear and you can count on enough people to, to just take the bait. So I'm, I'm thinking, what do, you th- what do you think is the mechanism for this, um, this behavior? I, I, think that's, <clears throat> I think that's a terrific question. And and I mean, this is such a big topic, and and is and is going to branch out into a number of of secondary topics. But uh, my experience reading both corporate media, mainstream media, alternative media, and and social media was that uh, by and large. Uh, I would say 85% of the people that uh, and articles that I read were, were anti-trucker, anti-protest. And a lot of the self-identified left in quotation marks, and, and I don't know what else to call them uh, seemed uh, to fixate on uh, uh, the idea that that this protest was um, like Black Lives Matter or something that it was appropriated, co-opted uh, from the beginning. It was funded by far right neo-Nazi types, and that that was you know the organizer was at at its you know core was a guy with you know alt right past and so on. I don't even know if any of that's true, and it's irrelevant anyway. Um, because clearly the protest had mass support. And the other thing I read was how uh, people kept tweeting and writing in social media about how angry Canadians were at the truckers. <laughs> I thought, no, no, I don't think so. Um, we're seeing, you know, a massive turnout of people along the road and, and um, the, the atmosphere is positive and optimistic and it's not violent and it's not hostile and it's not, um, destructive, but as somebody said, and I forget who it may have been Spencer Latu, um, said it, it doesn't matter just the fact that this is the working class, uh, immediately alienates most of, of this self-identified left. They, they really, and it's yeah. true. They really have a kind of, um, Intent. Pardon? Contempt. Contempt. Yeah. Contempt. And, and it's, it's a, and it's also fear, you know, deep down on some level there, there is a a huge fear because these people are most of the people that I know that I know something about who I was reading are, are kind of petty bourgeois academics or, or, Mm. or um, affluent, you know, uh, urban dwellers, educated white across the board and they they have completely lost touch with whatever um the working class 
is in reality and i don't quite know mm-hmm. what it is yeah. in their you know internal landscape um but it's something it's something uh, a great distance from reality i think so so that was really surprising and but it's you asked about the mechanism and it, it is something about the because like what do we do what are we doing here with podcasts what are we doing having these conversations and writing the articles we do and blog posts and tweets and all this other shit what is it that we're trying to educate in some way we're trying to counter the um the prevailing narrative you know coming out of the 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 government and and ngo global ngo network so it we're in the service of of searching out the truth in some way and we're trying to ask questions and we're trying to find these things now you know given that it's I think the people we're talking about, and and you know, I'm not going to name names, although God knows I'm tempted to, um, are are people who it it's like this is this is what it's like an indoor sport for them or something. It's like they do this kind of I don't know somewhat superficial research, you know, with on the internet and they go, oh look, this is this and this is this, and then the the tweets are always or articles or comments are very snarky and you know kind of gotcha. Look, this is and you know and and it's 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 it has no more relevance than that. It's completely masturbatory. It has no. I don't think these people are. I don't believe deeply invested in change or social transformation or anything of the sort, but, but this also bleeds into or branches out into several other topics. One is the erosion of education and literacy, (coughs) excuse me. One is um, the, the Spotify story and, and the notion of free speech and and the capitulation of mm-hmm. artists to the status quo and that's is just draw dropping i mean i, I i'm still um recoiling in and dizzy from from the reality of this what i've read this week from people um and then i think the third thing is uh uh in general the and we already touched on this the psychological, uh, the psychological damage that people have suffered over the last couple of years, and probably over the last couple of decades, it's, you know, the, the preconditions for um, how damaging these two years have been were 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 at least twenty or thirty years in the making, I think. So, uh, you know, and that's that's a necessarily gigantic topic. Um, okay, uh, Corey, and then Johan. Um, I just wanted to add, like even The Guardian yesterday posted an article I stumbled across last night, Canada's COVID protests highlight rise of right-wing populist movements, right? right? Stores and vaccine clinics remain closed in Ottawa's protesters refuse to leave, right? So anyway, it's um, again, just tying it, trying to incite hatred, trying to tie it to the whole Trump movement in that whole Trump thing. I mean, if you want to blame if the left, you know, they, they hate you know, you know, whatever you want to call them, Trumpers, Trumpists, right, which apparently now yeah. are all over the whole fucking world. But I mean, they to find who to blame for that, they need only to look into the mirror, right? I mean, that's why Trump was able to um, basically there was a vacuum there left by the left who abandoned the working class and Trump and his campaign or whatever they 
they spotted that, right? The Democratic Party as well. They, you know, they just tossed those people away and the, and the Republicans saw that and took advantage of it. So the left can blame themselves, you know, for that. Yeah. Um, and, and sorry, I just want to add one more thing about that yeah. mechanism, about the mechanism. Um, I, I don't know. I was thinking about that, about the media as, as the right arm apparatus of capital and ruling class. Right. And that's largely understood and accepted by most people. But I think what's more recent in development and not widely understood and definitely perhaps like it is accepted by me, but not by myself, but not by um, the larger population, um, is that the Western left, and again, I'm just going to call them for now, at least the post left, they have firmly established itself as the left arm. If the media serves as the right arm apparatus, I would say that now the post left serves as the left arm. United, Mm. they are one, right? And and now I see them as just an, an extension of that, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, this 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 warrants a discussion of the even though it's seamless, seemingly um, perhaps uh, just a distraction, the Joe Rogan, um, uh, Neil Young story. But um, Johan, before we get into that. Yeah, well, it's 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 a distraction, all right, but it's it's relevant as well, I think. I just have two questions for Varun. Uh, I mean, do you see anything similar in the in the reporting on the farmers' protests over there? And is there any reporting on this issue from India? And how how does that look? Um, some Hindi publications have been speaking about uh, anti-mandate protests, which have broken out in many European countries mm. um, now. But these are very fleeting articles and these papers are not very widely circulated. Not a lot of people are talking about the Canadian truckers and not a lot of people know about the Canadian truckers actually and the extent of how how many people are involved and what's going into it. So the blackout in that sense is Hmm. like it was for the farmers protest in India internationally, essentially. A lot of the the Canadian truckers are Punjabis or Sikhs. I was reading something like sixty percent of Canadian truck drivers are um, are Sikh. I I'm just just mentioning that. I have no conclusion to draw from that. Um, but it but it's interesting. Um, th- let's just t- touch on the the Spotify thing a little because because it it's representative of um of what has happened to to artists the art community the um the alternative press the the uh the the role of art in society the 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 place that it occupies in in the collective imagination i guess and uh what I mean, I was not surprised that I mean Neil Young has always been a wanker, and he was you know um, <laughs> pro Bush and you know rocking in the free world. He's always been an asshole, and and you know I what surprised me was so many people go, gosh, he's one of my favorite artists, and I thought really, <laughs> I didn't know anybody felt that way, but you know I'm out of touch, I guess. But so I wasn't surprised. Neil Young, okay, he has a, this petulant 
you know, statement, you know, Spotify can have me or they can have Joe Rogan. Um, and I thought this is, you know, part of the carnival, part of the spectacle. Fine. Then Joni Mitchell comes out. Also not a surprise, you know, um, uh, these are people who are multimillionaires now and have been multimillionaires for a very long time. And so it, it, they think the way multimillionaires think by and large, they think the way the ruling class thinks, because in some sense they are the court jesters for the ruling class. Mm. Uh, and, but, but what amazed me like counterpunch, I'm sorry, you know, counterpunch issues this statement that just, you know, reeks of self-importance, first of all. You know, and we're standing with Neil Young against the dangerous misinformation, um, you know, on Joe Rogan's show. And, and I thought, so here we have an ostensibly leftist publication coming out against free speech, first and foremost. And that's stunning. And that all these people, all these artists, Hollywood celebrities also tweeting and come making statements to the media that we are with Neil Young and this is dangerous. It's, you know, it's a threat to thousands of lives are at risk. I heard that multiple times and I thought, what are you talking? Who's what are you talking about? Whose lives are what? Do, what does that even mean? And and, I, you know, but I think what it means is i've been thinking about this actually today i think that if this is but this is true for the u.s and it's not really true for europe or other places in the u.s and probably canada people are subjected more directly and for you know longer periods of time each day to this this assault from corporate media and what that media you know, has spewed out for two years as a, as an incessant stream of fear mongering and fear porn and, and the, you know, a, a litany of threats. There's a new threat and danger to be discovered in COVID. You know, I mean, not a week goes by that the COVID virus, we've discovered another thing. It can cause tooth decay. You know, it can cause your penis to shrink. It can, I mean, every, every week there's a new symptom. So um, they have been subjected to this and, and I think just uncritically, passively in a certain sense, absorbed it, internalized it and, and made it part of their, you know, um, <clears throat> their, the architecture of their thought. And there are many people in the American public, probably again, more urban um, more white in general, um, perhaps, you know, slightly better educated, what used to be the middle class, perhaps, um, who don't investigate things very much. They watch the evening news. They, they, you know, listen to stuff, said it, whatever the school board or, you know, wherever they work at the water cooler, people talk about, and, and, and what, what they hear is, you know, these dire threats, this extraordinary danger that this virus um, poses for them um, and for their children and everybody, I'm, you know, it's extraordinary. So the real misinformation, of course, is, is coming from these people and, and from this media. And um, so, so on some level, it's not terribly surprising that, that 
that so many people side with Neil Young. They like celebrities and there's a certain kind of a certain profile, a kind of woke profile that dislikes instinctively dislikes Joe Rogan. Now, I don't want to de defend Joe Rogan, particularly a guy who called Che Guevara a terrorist, but um, but he's but he's actually very good at what he does. And and in many ways, he's he's surprisingly articulate and and um, and reasonable on a number of issues. And he's he's a good talk show host. He's, that's what he is. And whatever, whatever I mean by good talk show host, I don't know what that is, but I guess he must be good at it. He certainly appeals to white men under the age of 40. Uh, that's his audience. That's his demographic. And it's massive. Um, he's extraordinarily well liked. So um, it, it's interesting that, that this is being laid out in terms of Joe Rogan, this short ball guy who's a talk show host, suddenly becoming an imminent threat to people's health and safety. Uh, it's extraordinary, you know, and and uh, if if you are a passive uh, uh, audience to to the spectacle, you are going to side with um, Neil Young and, and this stuff too, because that's what you're told to do. Um, it, that's what the fact checkers will tell you to do. I want to talk also short sidebar, but we'll get back to that. I want to talk about the, the vaccine side effects, uh, myocarditis and the dead athletes and the fact that the Florida governor mentioned that and so forth and the media response to that. But, but let's stay on the, the Rogan story for a second. Um, Hiroyuki. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sort of feeling numb uh, kind of, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I don't really know what to say. I mean, it's, it's uh, things seem to be, kind of obvious um 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 i mean the the institutions have been compromised for generations and generations and uh, we have the the consequence of this uh, the oligarchs somehow uh insisting on their interests and in order to do that um institutions need to be compromised uh, people who know how uh, things operate in any field, you know, they have the chance to peek in the fact that uh, nature has this inherent way, and um, um, that's that's inherently against uh, this ridiculous. Uh, social formation governed by the uh, wealth and power. So uh, it, it's, uh, it, it needs to be um, um, this way, the, the, you know, we, 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 we're gonna lose art, we're gonna lose uh, science, we're gonna lose uh, politics, economy, uh, in order for this, um, uh, oligarchy to persist. And um, um, it, it's like looking at a big car wreck and uh, <laughs> what can I say? Oh my God, yeah. okay, um, what are we gonna do? I mean, it, 
I mean, it's a difficult situation. Um, and it seems like most people don't even want to look at it because um, it's like it's like we're in a prison. And uh, if we don't listen to the guards, you will be in trouble. Uh, yeah. You know what it, this is? Um, and I'm I'm sort of feeling numb, you know, it's. Um, no, I, I think that's. I mean, I I suffer waves of that numbness. I think probably daily. I have a a, a burnout moment, and I I don't want to think about it anymore. And and I you know, um, I would prefer to concentrate on you know art. And I've been rereading a lot of Dostoevsky um, this whole last year, in fact. And. Well, and the, the thing about this is that those things, art and Dostoevsky and literature, movie and all those things, uh, we can get into that. But if this situation persists, we're not going to have any audience who understand what's good and what's wrong. We it's, already, we already you know, don't have it. Yeah. It, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's very like, small shrinking audience yeah and you can't even do art i mean we're social beings we share things and we develop things and we cultivate uh, harmony among us and that's life and well i we don't I, have I, that you know it's i saw an article today in fact i thought about you when i was reading it um uh, and this is from an art magazine, an online art magazine run by, I think, very young um, writers and critics. And, and sometimes it's pretty good and, and they cover a lot of cool shows. But the lead article for this week's edition was artists need to start creating in the metaverse. <laughs> and I thought that, you know, this is um, that sentence is is self-contradicting, <laughs> but. Um, but why, why would you, how can your, how can your compass be so skewed, be so exactly wrong? Um, your instincts so compromised that, that you think art needs to create in the, I mean, you know, it's kind of jaw dropping, but this is a very young critic. I think I'm sure somebody under the age of 30. Um, who was the author of that? Well, but that, that's the exact thing. That's the exact problem. People are looking at uh, the universe and the universe is the capitalist framework. You don't go outside of it. If you do, yeah. you're going to be others and you're going to be um, extremists or whatever. And, um, you know, you can't do art um, in, in the cage. Yeah. Well, no. you know, I when I look at if you pick up, um, you know, art forum or or hyperallergic or any of the kind of mag art magazines, there's an art itself and so forth. And you look at the new shows and upcoming artists, there is a growing uh, uh, presence of this kind of woke art. Um, young black artists, young Chicano artists, young Asian artists, young, you know, queer artists, young something. And um, it's all identity based. It's it's like a cliche and it's terrible. It's just it's just junk. It's just terrible. And um, 
I always think it's interesting when you read catalog text, catalog copy uh, for an artist's show or, you know, um, future show even, and, and the curator, the, the gallery owner or whoever writes this copy, whenever, as soon as they say, you know, Jim Wilson's work explores gender and identity, I don't go any further because I know it's junk. You know, um, it, it, that word is like the biggest red flag in the whole, you know, uh, universe of aesthetics. Um, he's exploring. No, that's, you know, goodbye. Anyway, uh, but so it's terrible. There's more junk now than, than ever before. I should say there's also terrific work like yours, Hiroyuki, um, that, that, but, but it's, it's, uh, I don't know how much longer, uh, really good artists are going to be able to create um, really good work because it's it's being um, it's being run out. It's made it's being um, made invisible, disappeared. I mean, yeah, they I think that's the thing. I mean, people are doing good work uh, in any field. I think. I mean, when we look at uh, um, war on virus. Uh, we do see some doctors, we do see some uh, health professionals uh, speaking out, but you know, they're demonized. And yeah, uh, yeah. it's so ahead, inefficient, sorry. it's so um, destructive. The, the system is, uh, we're looking at the system, we're looking at the system and it's eating itself and it's, it's, that's the way it functions. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the problem again, and we've talked about this, the class um, analysis of the whole COVID story has been that the educated 30%, the, you know, urban dwellers who make up usually the, you know, the, the audience for culture, for cultural product. Um, and these are the people who, uh, who, whose instincts have been most damaged and, and who have lost touch with their own experience and sense of self, I think. And they are the ones that promote the very worst kind of um, work being done out there. And uh, really good work and really good artists are increasingly not just disappeared, not just made invisible, they're attacked. Um, when Peter Honke won the Nobel Prize, and it's, it's interesting that he won it. Pinter won it, Hanke won it. And um, both were on the committee to defend Milosevic, by the way. Um, and and uh, part of the artist's call, as was I, uh, to defend Milosevic against the Hague and so forth. Um, so it's interesting that he did, though, win. You know, um, it's something of an anomaly because, you know, uh, the subsequent choices have been terrible. But uh but the the media response to Hanke winning the Nobel Prize in literature was uniformly hostile I mean scathing attacks against him it's just shocking actually uh so yeah there's that so anyway just to conclude my thoughts on on the Rogan Spotify thing uh the fact that the that that it, it is this this sclerotic kind of um, transformation of language. I, I wrote something today somewhere about that, that calling things falsehoods and dangerous misinformation, that's what the fact checkers say, uh, 
that that Rogan's show interview with Malone was dangerous, contained dangerous COVID misinformation. Uh, and and that people respond to that as if, right, well, that's terrible. No questioning of who is defining this misinformation. It's they have they have suspended their distrust of the system. These people who supposedly are leftists are standing with the ruling class in destroying free speech. It is extraordinary, not to mention they are also defending the lockdowns, vaccine mandates, the entire thing. And and it's I don't know. It's Corey, you called it disgusting earlier. And it is it, it is just shocking. I don't know um, it, it, when you think about it. It is so nakedly um, incoherent on some level with their stated principles and beliefs i don't know okay uh johan cory yeah well uh, i mean no yeah. go ahead you cory <laughs> okay i i was just gonna add i've never listened to joe rogan is that his right it's his name right yeah. um and you know while bombs are dropping on yemen and we're about to you know we're entering the age of um, genetically engineering all of life and nature the enclosure of the whole planet, biggest land grab in history is happening. Um, all these things are happening. The biggest rise up, uh, working class all over. And there's like Spotify wars, right? It's like sort of crazy. Mm. You know, yeah. this whole under, I think yeah. mental illness now comes under this entire industrial civilization, which is only intensified over the past two years. It's, I, I feel like it's sort of, it's been normalized because we live in it, but it's like mental illness um, is like the air we breathe now. Um, but I, I did listen to um, Rogan, what he said in a three minute clip um, about everything happening. And it was, I mean, he just basically destroyed everyone's argument against him um, very, very quickly and very clearly. And yeah, so I, you know, I, I was sort of like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, that totally makes <laughs> sense. That totally makes sense. But I, Johan, maybe you jump in there. I want to talk about the vaccines a bit, like whenever anybody else wants to. <laughs> Let me short. Uh, give you a short response there, because I, I to reconnect with what Hiroyuki said. I think the the metaverse is is really symbolic of all of this you mentioned, Corey. I, I think it really should be considered a sort of like digital panopticon. You know, the the full actualization of this total surveillance, the, the, the elimination of, of the, the personal and private sphere, and, and also this, this symbolic uh, subjugation and total penetration of physical reality that in a way like becomes fully exhausted by the, the spectacular representation of physical reality within capital. So, so I mean, I, I think this, this metaverse idea and it's really horrifying utopianism, it kind of signifies the loss of transcendence that, that all of this is some kind of particular psychosis that's characteristic of, of end stage capitalism and it's very suffocating imminence and attempt at objective control of every facet of existence. So that's what the metaverse is basically. That's yeah, I think that's a good description. Very good. Well, I, I just wanted to add and then let's talk about the, the vaccines, but just that uh and and again, I've read this somewhere that that here you have these truckers, these 
thousands of truckers, this extraordinary convoy, protests, support for the protests, people braving freezing temperatures to be out there. Um, and, and these are people whose instincts are correct. This is the, the proletariat. This is the blue collar workforce. Uh, and, and that so many <clears throat> progressives in quotation marks, liberals, leftists are, are ignoring them. And that something as crude and clumsy as that Confederate flag plant I mean, even Tucker Carlson called that out and said, look at the guy. The only guy with his face covered is the guy with the Confederate flag. And there's a guy of, you know, 30 feet away with an expensive camera and telephoto lens taking pictures of just the guy with the Confederate flag. These kind of agent provocateur mechanisms have been in existence for 50 years. It follows a pattern that is repeated over and over and over and over and over every protest anywhere happens this is what happens and the confederate flag is the is the signifier for alt-right you know steve bannon donald trump all of these people that um liberals love to hate and 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 yet here are the truckers saying are saying we are being infiltrated by agent provocateurs don't be fooled and yet they are fooled they don't listen they don't listen to the truckers themselves um Varun, yeah, I just wanted to um, talk about the Rogan show. Um, also, this the, the the manipulation of the narrative is so automated in the sense that let's look at yeah. what everybody was talking about over the last two years was um, a push for digitizing, a push for um, AI uh, governance, or at least majority of systems being run on AI and such things. And this whole argument between Rogan and the establishment has essentially put Spotify as the savior. That move mm. has made a platform, which is a digital platform, as the savior against this fanatical comment by Neil Young. And to say that this is where the real conversation is now going to begin, right? That's what is yeah. going on. And now, yeah. then, then you have, of course, the truckers are at odds with narrative manipulation, like you you were just explaining. But underneath all of this, there are, there have been reports of, like Corey was saying, land grabs. There have been reports of tribals being ev evicted from from their land in Brazil, in Tanzania, and in India at the hands of corporations through government policy. And this is nowhere being talked about at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the Indian government that announces the budget in which they want to define what it means to have an NFT or what NFTs actually mean. They're drawing boundaries around what NFTs mean. They're introducing a digital currency through the Reserve Central Reserve Bank of India. And they're gonna tax all crypto and digital assets at 30%. And they're talking about uh, digitizing education. They're talking about private public partnerships mm. in all modalities of society. They're talking about um, freight and 
um, streamlining freight and public movement. And all of this is happening in the, in, in, under the guise of development and progress. But we know that everything is slowly getting privatized. So in that sense, like the, the conflation of the narratives here is suddenly, while the agenda is going on, it's being implemented in every single country slowly. Yeah. All digital identity, like the, the finance minister has blatantly said that the health uh, health records, tax, tax records, banking records and passports are all going to be on one identity, on one card, which is a digital identity. So all of this is happening. But what are we fighting about? We are fighting about the left and the right. and All of that stuff yeah. is going on in the public in general. And we're getting distracted with... A, a talk show host like Joe Rogan, who's made a three-minute Instagram post while nobody else is talking about any of this stuff. And that is what I think Hiroyuki was talking about earlier, is that it's so deep. The manipulation of the narrative is so deep that it's so fleeting. All of the real stuff that's happening in policy, which is going to affect everybody's life for 15, 20, 25, 30 years from now, Nobody's going to be looking at that at all. It's just all of this kind of veil of the spectacle in that sense. Mm. Well, I think I think I don't disagree, but I think that that um, uh, the the spectacle is unavoidable. I mean, Deboer talked about you know the 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 way in which it comes to to represent everything. I mean, Jonathan Beller talks about this too. Um, so. So if, you know, the Joe Rogan story, the Spotify story, and I mean, I think a lot of people made the observation over the last couple of weeks that, um, that, that, you know, one doesn't want to valorize, you know, Spotify in the middle of all this, uh, and, which is why I think it, it became an issue of free speech, because I think free speech is disappearing. Um, and it's now it's being it's there are people encouraging less and less free speech more and more censorship is being um, uh, supported people are asking for censorship and I, I think that that's what can't be separated from stories of land grabs in Tanzania mm. or or wherever because it's it's the same thing in a certain sense um, the same way that you you can't separate American foreign policy from from American domestic policy or from um, a, you know the way American families behave uh, the way children are raised you know in some strange way mirrors the way uh, counterinsurgency operations by U.S. NATO forces operate in Iraq. Uh, these things are all, is what I've kept writing about, that, that, that the world becomes allegory, you know, and, and, that's, what, and that's what we're seeing. But, but your point is, is, is accurate. I mean, um, I just don't know that, um, I don't think, I don't think, analyzing the significant um, media story is ever necessarily um, a distraction, but I don't know. Corey, and mm -hmm. then you again? Yeah, I'm so, sort of now building on what Vroom was speaking about. 
Um, okay, so there's a video, probably you all saw it. There's a clip. It's um, Klaus Schwab, and he's speaking about how he's very proud of the fact that, mm -hmm. that his foundation's been able to, he uses the word penetrate um, the, the cabinets. <laughs> and then um, he, you know, um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Trudeau, Macron, they're all young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. He actually says that he um, went to some sort of, thing I don't have it in front of me but he says in the clip that he was at um something with Trudeau and he looked at the cabinet and he realized that at least 50 percent or over 50 percent of the cabinet were all from um all had been groomed or trained by World Economic Forum so what we're seeing here is actually um global governance right and so the World Economic Forum is basically um sort of the secretariat of 100 of the most powerful corporations on the planet they're building a framework that places corporations at the center of power so this is the privatization of global governments as well as the privatization of, of all um you know of all public goods and everything that includes and in all of nature all the natural world so from from looking at papers from the oecd and and beyond i i just want to outline a few things what that means so the concept of global governance um is like a more benign term for what kissinger and all and I'll refer to as the new world order, right? Which has a lot, even though they still use that term today, even in um, the financial times and everywhere else sort of has that, you know, conspiracy theory type of um, stigma attached to it. So global governance, um, it's the creation of a central regulatory authority of globalization. And that's through the OECD, through a creation of private public partnerships with the institutions that regulate various facets of the international system comprised of the indi um, individual nation states. So we've seen already, we've seen that already happen, like the partnerships with World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the partnerships with OECD and the United Nations. Um, all these partnerships have been happening behind the veil of COVID-19. Um, in the, you know, quote unquote pandemic. So in um, one paper I'm reading in regard to expected uprisings as we go forward into sort of, you know, um, a really unstable um, world. And this is a quote. In other words, these movements are likely to evolve aided by the fact that they cannot be repressed by the forces of globalization since, as noted, there is no central regulatory authority that can repress them. So it's sort of citing how this is needed to, um, you know, control the population and the descent that's growing in the population. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking when I look at what's happening, I would say global governance is already here. Now I'm alluding to the things that Brun was already speaking to. And this is why we see the pharmaceutical industry um, wielding now more power than most countries in the world. And so that the question of how this is being done is not being asked, right? No one's really wondering how this is possible, that, that this is happening. Um, the challenge for global governance is to build, and this is from the OECD again, is to build control on top of a coordination in the absence of a central regulatory authority and international government in a system of sovereign states such as, as exists today under what is known as Westphalian, uh, Westphalian system, such control is problematic, right? So they're, so they're talking about how it's necessary, right? To, to 
um, do this um, until the time that there is an international government. Global, so the global governance will regulate international exchange. So under the guise of emergency, and we see this with now the new, you know, the whole new pandemic era, climate change, everything else. Um, now, you know, riots, um, you know, they're losing social license all over the planet. Um, I would say that an international government will no doubt be sought. And then this is my last quote that I'll hmm. just interject here. If the objective is to attenuate discontent, discontent, contingent and structural by creating a fair and more sustainable world, it seems unquestionable that changes in global governance are required. And then that sort of brings you to um, the World Government Summit. Um, what's that called? It's called the World, yeah, the World Government Summit, which is in the eighth, it's in its eighth year. And um, it's the only global organization dedicated to shaping the future of governments and setting the agenda for the next generation of governments worldwide. And, and that brings me to gene editing and that's in, um, the experimental injections, if you guys want to talk about that. Yes, yeah, I knew there were going to be like multiple topics here. Uh, yeah, no, but go ahead, but go ahead, go ahead. I'm just trying to keep track. Of okay, that. well, maybe I'm just going to say this and then maybe we can talk about the AI, about global governance and about um, experimental injections. I don't like to call them vaccines after I'm done this. This is actually really quite mind-blowing and I, I just came across it and I haven't even talked to anyone about it, not even you guys on Telegram. Okay, so this guy Juan Enrique, Enrique's, he's one of the world's leading authorities on the uses and benefits of genomic research. Now I found him through watching the World Government Summit um, videos online which not very many people even know it exists, this summit, um, which Klaus Schwab and everyone take part in. And it's partnered with um, OECD, IMF, World Bank, UN, the WHO, and then um, three, I think three different maybe banks or um, institutions in Dubai. So anyway, this guy, I'm watching his things and I started looking around on him. So he's, um, yeah, one of the world's leading authorities on genomics, and I'm listening to his lectures. He's board on, on let me see, the Cabot Corporation, um, Harvard Medical School Genetics Advisory Council, Synthetic um, Genomics Incorporated, the Visiting Committee of Harvard's David Rockefeller Center. So anyway, I, I find him, and, and then I come on to this tiny little clip of him. And I just can't really believe it because it's nowhere, nowhere else at all. He says, this is sort of crazy. Um, okay, here we go. So mRNA vaccines, how everyone says they prime the immune system, right? We all hear that, right? How they prime it, they trigger it, um, everything else. But um, this person here, again, who spoke at the summit, he says in no uncertain terms that they alter it. They alter the immune system. And he says, and this is his exact, um, exactly what he says. So what we're seeing right now is an, an, an incredible acceleration of evolution. What you're really talking about is let's alter the immune system of a majority of humanity in the next two years to adapt to a virus. So it's very, very clear that he is stating 
that they are altering the immune system. And so when I went and tried and to look around for that, I found on the Washington Post, a fact checker, a question, will the vaccines alter my immune system? And then they answer, every vaccine is intended to rev up the immune system to generate antibodies against a target virus, but there is no evidence to support claims by anti-vaccination activists that the coronavirus vaccines, particularly the mRNA vaccine shots, can permanently alter the immune system. So <laughs> this person yeah. is saying they absolutely do, and that, that's the point of them, and to do that yeah. on a massive scale. So I, I think that's pretty huge and pretty frightening. Um, I, yeah, there, there's a lot to respond to, but Johan? Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of topics here. I, I used to have a kind of summarizing comment. I was just thinking because with regard to, to what uh, the three of you just were saying, kind of the, the colonization is, is everywhere. That's why I would argue that almost every form of identity politics is, is ultimately counter-revolutionary to some extent. And that's why we need to recover these more universal forms of solidarity. The, the processes we are facing are, are universal, even if they take on different forms. And, and in relation to that, I, I think it's interesting that I'm seeing exactly what Varun is talking about in India taking place here in Sweden. Uh, it was a few days ago, uh, I saw that there was this large article on the, the major paper that how the Swedish tax agency wants to introduce digital biometric IDs in connection with, um, with this magical AI analysis of, uh, with the purpose of them preventing crime. And the day before they announced that a majority in parliament is in favor of uh, a governmental cross-sharing of confidential data on the citizens so that all the agencies will have access to all the data sponged up by the entire system. And I mean, it's not hard to see how this provides a, a legal foundation for this, uh, this good health pass, this green ID, in a way that actually allows for your personal data to be completely anonymous because it's only the system that knows everything about you. Your, your data is never exposed to any, any natural dirty human person, but you can still get banned from flying if you refuse experimental injections. And I, I think there's something really ominous here because nobody knows you but the technological surveillance system. Um, <clears throat> I just wanna comment briefly um, on on the, the the ideas that that Schwab puts out um, in that little talk, and I also I I want to link that I think I in this when this podcast gets put on SoundCloud I I want to link that video with um and there's an article too by that Russian scholar Andropov, um, but also the that the Dutchman that I had last time, um, whose name I can't pronounce, uh, Kies van der Spiel, uh, and and they emphasize how doomed to failure all of these fantasies are. Um, this the the globe the the AI controlling everything and uh, the digitalization of everything, full automation of everything. I mean, it's simply not going to work. I mean, it's 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 very far away from being able to work. Now, might might there be a cruder form of global government? Yes, certainly governance. 
Um, but in Norway here, for example, which is, I mean, Norwegians love all things digital. Uh, uh, and and the banking system here is completely digitalized. You can't do anything without having like seven apps on your phone. I mean, you really literally can't get a cup of coffee without having all these apps and without having a smartphone that supports all of these apps. Uh, <clears throat> but the, the I may have mentioned this last time, the, the, the net bank system w- went down for a while just a few hours, but then it was up and down, up and down for a few days. And this is how you pay your bills. And this is how you do everything. Now, this is just a few hours in tiny little Norway. And yet bills didn't get paid on time and they were automatically sent, um, you know, because everything's automated, all these computer algorithms late. The bill was sent to a, you know, computer collection agency and they added 300% to the bill and sent a check out you know, with a text message to you on your phone, you, you now owe three times what you owed five minutes ago, even though you had tried to pay many people had tried to pay, but they couldn't because the system was down. Doesn't matter. That's just a tiny minuscule example of the clusterfuck that looms on the horizon uh, with all of this fully automated stuff. It's not remotely close to working. And so I think, there is a real discussion to be had about what will be, because we're talking about an unprecedented consolidation of wealth at the top. It's not just 1%, you know, it's like a quarter of 1%, a 16th of 1% of the population now has unprecedented amounts of wealth. And, and it's in the hands of, you know, what John Rappaport called mental midgets. Um, and, and, and they are, these are not visionaries or anything. And they have these fantasies and Schwab and all his friends at the World Economic Forum and Davos and Bilderberg and all of these places and the young global leader. I mean, Justin Trudeau is a moron. You know, I mean, among other things, he's a moron. So you're looking at this and you're thinking, you know, the, these are, you look at the US government. Okay, so they're just, highly paid clerks that are there to protect the property of the very wealthy. That's really all they are. Biden is not necessarily a very powerful man. Um, But the point is that none of them are terribly smart. What are they going to do when stuff starts to fail? This is the question for me. I mean, when, when these ideas, when they try to implement them, even in the first world and they begin to unravel um, I, I wonder at what, in what way those failures will, will be responded to. Um, anyway, uh, Varun and then Hiroyuki. Yeah, I think, I think it's also that it's even scarier. It's more frightening that, that these plans will fail actually, because then that means that the global public is just an experiment for all these people that are doing whatever the hell they want to, whenever the yeah. fuck they want to. But that's also, <laughs> there is a there is an Irish woman who did a pretty smart analysis of the financial markets, and I'll post that link, um, mm. Lisa Shumay. And uh, it was about 
like the retrieval of the system after the two, 2008 crash and how the banks were bailed out and stuff like this. And I think she makes the same analysis saying that we were close to globally collapsing in 2017 and 18. And that's why this needed to be done at this time. And they had to orchestrate all of this so that they could invent new kinds of property, which is basically digital yeah. real estate, to kind of revitalize the economy for their own benefit. So that's, I mean, and, and it's, I, mean, I think the dystopian element here is that, that all of these plans will fail, but then they're going to come up with some more worse neurotic plans to keep it afloat and keep the keep the balance tilted in their favor that's what's really scary yeah yeah no i agree i agree hiroyuki well i i think uh the the failure is uh uh always the other consequences of those those uh schemes we have uh uh, war on terror, war on drugs, and uh, uh, the stated purposes are never the actual purposes. The, the, the purpose is to perpetuate the whole thing. And in the process of um, this uh, development of uh, perpetuation of the um, uh, uh, capitalism, we have this situation in which uh, people are more and more domesticated. Domesticated means that we are more, more obedient, we are dumber, we are cynical perhaps, and this direction is totally um, in sync with the um, uh, what uh, Corey just brought up about the uh, uh, evolution of uh, immunity. Uh, we are being changed. We will be um, uh, more manageable by changing genetically whatever they are doing, or maybe uh, being reduced into smaller population, whatever. Um, so I think it all makes sense. It also makes sense that those people are not very smart. They don't know what they're doing. But if you have more obedient people, it's going to be okay. So it right. it fits um, nicely together. But 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 we're looking at very very uh, dire situation. We're talking we're talking about um, uh, probably the species, our species, not uh, very prosperous in the future. We're looking at dead end species because of this uh, social formation we are allowing mm. to um, uh, go on. Um, Varun, and then I have a comment, I think, too. Yeah, I'll just add quickly here. I think what Corey was saying about uh, this gentleman talking about Changing the immune system. I think side by side to that is how the nervous system is continuously under attack with this perpetual panic. There's there's continuous yeah. fright yeah. in the world as a as a thing all the yeah. time. So those two things combined, you have a really uh, malleable collective will and a very very plastic. Um, kind of society to play with i think yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because i think i think that's very true um uh that 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 people the 
you know, if you look at the leading cause of death in most places, you know, it's heart disease, stroke, dementia, um, <clears throat> a lot of this stuff, the majority of it is stress related and, and autoimmune um, disorders are also stress related. And, and there's a huge spike in all of those. Um, and, and people take massive amounts of antidepressants and so forth. But, um, and we live in an incredibly toxic, increasingly toxic world. Uh, but it also is worth remembering that, you know, a lot of us didn't get vaccinated. Um, and, and the governments of the world keep claiming, you know, 84%, 94% um, of this place or that country or this city have been vaccinated. And yet, uh, anecdotal, my anecdotal experience uh, in Norway is that it's, you know, because they're claiming like 88% here or something. I don't believe it at all. Anecdotally, um, I think it's more like 60%. And this is a very, very obedient country. But any, the point being that a lot of us didn't get vaccinated. A lot of us are not being altered um, or turned into soil and green or whatever it is. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I think that, uh, you know, that idea that we are transforming the immune system is, is, I mean, it's it's terrifying because it's 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 the thoughts of a psychopath, but it's not terrifying because I don't think it's possible and I don't think he's going to do it. And I don't think they're going to do it because I don't think they they can't even do it with rats right now. So, you know, this is like this is like Elon Musk and his driverless cars, which keep crashing. You know, um, he had to have they had an experiment on on snowy roads that apparently was just a disaster because the cameras couldn't read the road because there was snow on it. You know, gosh, who'd have thunk? Um, it, it's, it's, it's really delusional. And these people are at the very least sociopathic, the ones that are making these massive decisions and these people that control this massive amount of wealth. But there are millions and millions and millions of people who have refused to, to have this injection and who have refused the vax mandate. And that's why we've seen protests all over the world. Massive, massive, mm. massive protests. And just because the media ignored them doesn't mean they didn't took place. Those people distrusted, instinctively distrusted this stuff and they resisted it. And, and I think it's gone was certainly a, a, a significant contributor to the backpedaling from governments and mm. lifting of restrictions uh, more quickly than they had originally said they were going to do. And we're seeing almost everywhere restrictions being lifted or at least partially lifted. And that's what I said before that I worried about. It was going to be um, this stuff was all put in place and then they go, OK, we're going to let it up. But they don't. But they only, you know, retreat 70 percent. And 30% of this stuff is still, you still take off your shoes at the airport security, you know, um, that's apparently never going away. It's an, it's a new ritual that, that, and, and we're that, if you look at it in terms of like the, the new mythology of Western capital, um, <clears throat> it is, it is the mythology of, of, you know, the barbaric of the barbarian. It is, it is, 
a certain, I mean, Adorno was right about this. It is a mass regression and, and um, the fall of the Soviet Union and the, the defeat of, of a lot of socialist countries and movements around the world was a, was a massive blow because, uh, you know, it has, it has, it has resulted in a, a inflated confidence in the sociopathic leaders of the West. Um, but that brings me to, and I, I and I know Johan, you want to say, but I want to just mention very quickly because there was an article, this, this thing came up this week. Cause I guess the foreign governor mentioned this, the fact that so many young athletes are having heart attacks, have myocarditis and drop dead on the field in the middle of a game. No, I don't know the numbers, but, but dozens and dozens and dozens of, of young athletes in their twenties having heart attacks, dropping dead. And a few people a bit older dropping dead, a referee dropped dead, some high school basketball game, I think. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> And so this governor mentioned it and he was vilified for even mentioning it because it was dangerous misinformation. Uh, it was a falsehood. And you have these little asterisks around those words. Uh, so the Washington Post published a very uh, extensive fact check rebuttal. No, the Washington Post says um, they are not dying, having heart attacks, myocarditis uh, from the side effects of the vaccine. Uh, the um, this is a delayed reaction from having COVID. Now, um, I don't know, but I am guessing that most of these young athletes, because they're all in their twenties, often in their early twenties, some were teenagers. I'm guessing most of them never had COVID. Because statistically, the odds are they did not have COVID because the young were virtually immune to having COVID. But, but the odds are that very few of them had COVID. So as, as an answer to this question, that's completely ludicrous. The second thing is, um, I'm guessing that the vast, vast majority were vaccinated because most professional sports leagues mandate vaccines this vaccine um not all of them but most of them and i know that the premiership in england uh there has been a huge resistance to vaccines and, and i think they are actually only like 50 percent vaccinated which is interesting but but the the rest of the european leagues is in they claim um something like 86 percent of the players are vaccinated so uh so it stands to reason that the young people having heart attacks and dropping dead on the field, A, never had COVID, and B, were vaccinated. And, and yet this reality is what is being um, obscured in this fact check article. It's very interesting. You should go to the Washington Post listeners out there um, and, and read the fact check because it's, it's, um, it's, it's strangely unconvincing even um, by the standards of, of the people um, producing it. Uh, Johan. Yeah, but, but they're going to maintain that exposure to COVID is what lies behind, behind these, uh, these, uh, this uptick in, in heart disease among young people. And, and most people will choose, choose to, to buy that story, I think. 
Uh, I hope not, but I mean, that, that's the, the, the meme they're going to sell you, I suppose. Uh, I also think uh, that uh, your analysis, Varun, uh, and uh, both of yours and Hiroyuki's actually is, is exactly right uh, among the, the economics behind the situation. And I just wanted to mention that Gail Tverberg of uh, ourfiniteworld.com, she just published a little more detailed account of the current economic predicament that kind of relates to what that Irish researcher stated. I also just wanted to ask if you had anything specific to say about the new budget in India. And to all of you, uh, should we say something about the, the growing new Red Scare and the discussions about Russia that go on? Um, yeah, whoever wants to. Varun, do you want to? Can you repeat that, Johan? I didn't, I didn't catch what you asked. Sorry. Oh, oh uh, did you have anything <laughs> to add about the, the new budget in India? Um. Well, I think um, basically the trials have been going on for almost a decade for all of this stuff, for the digitization, cashless society, uh, streamlined public movement, streamline all of that stuff has been going on. Now, um, genetic engineering, um, all of that, you know, it's been going on. There's been labs privately funded by foreign money that have been doing all this research on the population, on the crops and all of that stuff. Now, um, they're even introducing drone technology to go and look at farmland and they're changing farmer cycles again. And what's funny is that Bill Gates was, um, was, was kind of, Ill, I don't know, selected as the health ambassador for India last year. <laughs> so all of that is very deeply connected, and I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the link so you can yeah. post it. It, yeah. the, it would be great for people who can actually have a listen because it's all exactly what everybody's been speaking about for the last two years. All of that is in the budget now in India. Really, it's quite scary. Um. Okay. Uh. Any other quick topics, or just sort of let's have final thoughts from? from well, people? I, I would like to uh, uh, respond to what Johan was saying about the uh, uh, the Russia. Uh, oh Red, yes, me too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the Red Scare uh, situation, and uh, um, um, I mean it's a simple thing we, we've been uh, yeah, dealing with. I, I wrote about uh, about this in an article uh, latest. Maybe uh, you could link it. Uh, to the uh, podcast and uh, um, but the basically um, it's it, it, it's the uh, um, capitalist framework always uh, demonizes anybody who is um, um, against the uh, hegemony and uh, um, the the deep hatred against um, those um "Quote unquote uh, regimes or the dictators, uh, who uh, whatever they call, um, those things are really crucial in um, uh, justifying the imperial violence, and uh, the, and I think the same mechanism uh, works with the uh, demonizing the uh, unvaccinated. You know, it's it if if they can succeed to." Um, completely demonize those people as uh, others who are selfish, who do not care, and who do not belong to the civilized world, 
um, there's no reason to save those people. Just right. as when those uh, uh, the uh, uh, the dissidents um, went along with the U.S. government bombing Syria, when uh, Assad was uh, totally demonized. And the right thing to say is save the children of Syria by bombing them. Um, so this uh, demonization is 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 a, a crucial thing. And I keep noticing that, uh, uh, for example, I, I posted about Ukraine, and uh, of course somebody comes in saying that uh, Stalin, whatever, um, <laughs> you know, the the right, um, right. you know. You, you, it's just, um, it's still a crucial uh, silver silver bullet. As long as we have this hatred against those things, um, you really can't say that um, we have to do this or that. You have to go along with the empire because you don't want to be those demonized entities. Right, right. So. Well, no, and I think I just wanted to mention that 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 the the Russophobia in the media has been extraordinary. Uh, and I don't think there's going to be any kind of war be between the U.S. and Russia, not a hot war. And if there is anything, it'll be it'll be by proxy forces in a very controlled theater uh, because neither country can afford uh, a kind of boots on the ground um, conflict. But what they do want, the U.S. government and the Pentagon, and I suspect um, quite possibly what Russia wants, too, is a new Cold War. Uh, and you see this in media. I mean, you know, Hollywood anticipates and is the is the the, you know, the uh, the tip of the spear for uh for Western propaganda, they start conditioning people to these things, um, a, you know, a couple of years in advance. And there has been a massive uptick uh, in Cold War style and uh, style codes and aesthetics and and uh, decor. And it's it just it is everywhere from from um, East Germany to the Soviet Union to um to what satellite countries were doing in the Soviet Union. So the endless stories, films, TV shows, and they are always period pieces with, um, with very cool cold war uh, clothes and, you know, hairstyles and whatever. And I had noticed this, it was in the back of my head. Um, and then it began to make sense this year. I, well, of course this is, this is the, you know, and in the same way that fascism um, is is being rehabilitated and presented as a cool nostalgic style piece. Uh, you you see this, you know, in you know again in countless films and television shows. Uh, Mussolini is a great virile kind of figure of masculinity, or so. I mean, it's very strange and perverse. But um, so I'm pretty sure that that the United States. Uh, feels it's it's a profitable uh, project to, to install and and secure a new Cold War um, because I think the public has been conditioned indoctrinated to to find that a sort of appealing um, it's more appealing frankly I think 
than the metaverse. I think there's an instinctive revulsion that a lot of people have toward both Zuckerberg and his and his fantasies. Uh, but I think that the new Cold War may, in fact, um, get rolled out in much the same manner as as this fourth industrial revolution, the Great Reset and stuff. It'll take place with um, under the umbrella of, of a new Cold War. They're going to synchronize somehow, I suspect. Uh, anyway, but Hiroyuki's point um, and it may have been Varun's one. Um, and I know Varun, it's like two in the morning in India. So um, Varun is, you know, got to get him to bed. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, we're talking about the, how dumb people have gotten. Yeah. I mean, this we go back to this a lot. But but the, the loss of education that people people I mean, and, and they've done enough studies that people's vocabularies have shrunk like 20 percent over the last hundred years. Uh, and and, you know, anybody who teaches knows that high school students can't open a book and read it coherently. I, I've handed students Henry James and said, read the first page. They can't do it. Uh, so so th there is there is. And that a friend sent me that the school board, I forget, I think it was in San Francisco, um, had mandated, sent a memo to all teachers, a couple of page memo, outlining that um, uh, the, the English courses were no longer to be about teaching um, how, to, how to formulate an argument and write a, a proper letter and all of this sort of traditional stuff, basic English skills. It was teaching people uh, how best to be prepared for the job market ahead, how to anticipate what jobs might be available and what you should do to try to get them. And it, so it was, you know, there was like intellectual de-skilling or something going on. Um, so the loss of literacy, I think we are sinking into the new dark ages. Um, you know, people have called the, the, the fourth industrial revolution, the new feudalism, and that may well be true to some degree, but I think psychologically and, and intellectually um, we are returning to about the ninth century and there's going to be little outposts of uh, mm. Coptic monks in caves, places that will mm. that will hold on to the works of Shakespeare and and whatever. Uh, but that's going to be it. Everybody else will be mm. will be you know compulsively clicking their smartphones and and suffering all kinds of nervous system disorders and um and impotence and and infertility and um. And on that happy note, uh, Corey, do you want to give your last thought? <laughs> sure. You know, I just think if we can't identify the enemy, we really have no chance in how building a better world. You know, um, we have to overthrow the system that's destroying on the planet and all life within it. I mean, truck drivers who deliver us um, our food, right? <laughs> They're not the enemy, not even Joe Rogan is the enemy. The enemy is the capitalist system, which is built on the bedrock of white supremacy, violence and exploitation, right? And then, you know, you take it further, the system is insulated by corporate power, ruling class power, global finance. So 
you know, again, Spotify is not the target. We need to fight imperialism, colonialism, the military industrial complex. Um, these are this, we're up against like massive challenges here. And the idea that we can deal with the ecological um, crises outside of this lens is insanity, in my opinion. Like it's just storytelling. It's just, you know, spinning wheels. So that's all. Oh, I'm glad we're all so cheerful here at the end. Um, uh, okay, but but you know that's that's its own statement too. All right, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank Jack Littman, um, as always, who will uh, who will throw this together for us. Um, all of you, send me the links that you want um, you want posted with this podcast, and. Um, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Good yeah. night. Goodbye. Take care. All right. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye.